The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. The scripture reading for this morning is from Philippians 4, verses 1 through 20. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crowned, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat you, Odia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. If you're in kindergarten through fifth grade and you would like to go to Children's Church, please join our volunteers over by the Kids Zone sign. Thanks. Thank you, Kendall. Good morning. This is your first time. My name is Jared Huffman. I'm on staff here. The Restoration Southside, and I'm delighted that you could be here with us this morning. We'll conclude our study of Philippians 4, and as you've just heard, there's a lot of good stuff in there. But it meets us right where we're at today. I know that Thanksgiving is coming up, and Christmas is coming up, and the holidays sometimes seem to emphasize to us just how much we've lost, as much as they've reminded us of something sweet. Maybe this year you've lost someone to disease or tragedy. Maybe this year you've lost some part of your reputation, something that you were known for and now it's sort of muddled and gone. Maybe this year you've lost 
a relationship that mattered. And it's been transformed and it's changed and it may never go back. Maybe this year you lost your job. And as you look to the next year, it's hard to imagine where to even begin. Sometimes the holidays bring as much sadness as they do sweetness. And as we look at this text, I want to encourage you. God says something profound to us. This is a church who's struggling with each other, struggling on the inside, struggling to make sense of what's going on. And Paul says something profound. He says, my God will supply all your needs. What are your needs today, friends? What do you need to be encouraged with? I want you to leave this place when it's time knowing that my God will supply all of your needs. Let's pray. Lord, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? We are so unbelievably prone with deciding each day whether or not we're going to make it based upon what's outside of us instead of being reminded what's inside of us. God, in your kindness, would you speak to us? Would you anoint the preacher and the words? that we might be deeply blessed by your Holy Spirit. There are weary people in this room who need you. Be the God who we know that you are. It's in the matchless name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. The Philippian church is in the midst of chaos, and I wanted to give you a picture of what chaos looks like at my house. This is a real, true story and in no way exaggerated. Our twins have found out where we keep the eggs, which is in the second refrigerator in the laundry room. So what they like to do is go into the bathroom, which connects to the laundry room, lock the door, take the eggs out of the fridge, and they like to egg the bathroom. Egg, by that I mean smash and throw all dozen eggs or sometimes 18 eggs, into the wall of the bathroom. And if ever you're in our house and all of a sudden things are too quiet, it occurs to you, oh no, it's happening again. Well, this one time in specific, I was at work and Aaron heard quiet and thought, oh no, and runs back to the restroom and pick locks the door and finds the twins there looking guilty as all get out and there is egg everywhere in the bathroom. It's those moments where you're trying to hold it together as a mother, but you're starting to see red. And so she starts to get towels and cleaner and starts to start scooping this up, and the twins disappear. They're gone. Well, she finally makes it to the end of cleaning up this disgusting mess of yolk in the bathroom and comes back out to the kitchen to return to what she was doing, and they have gotten into the pantry they have found two things that are full of breadcrumbs, you know, that you would sprinkle on chicken. And the entire floor is dusted in the kitchen with breadcrumbs. Just one time. And she's like, oh man. After she's cleaned up the bathroom, she then begins to work on the kitchen. The twins disappear out of the kitchen and go into the living room. 
As she's finishing up, cleaning up the living room with the breadcrumb, or excuse me, cleaning up the kitchen with the breadcrumbs everywhere, she goes into the living room to finally get these guys, put them in one place and watch them like a hawk. And they have taken these, you know, the fancy jars that are kind of like antique looking and for a living room, and they have smashed them on the ground. And one of them is bleeding out of his hand. So in some... They have egged the bathroom. They have dusted thoroughly the kitchen floor with breadcrumbs. And when she finds to go, goes to find them in the last place, Connor is walking towards her with blood in his hands and smashed glass. She called me very quickly thereafter and said, it's time to come home. It's chaos. It's crazy chaos. When you try and fix something, something else falls apart. When you try and clean something up, something else gets messier. I know you know what that feels like. That sense of you're trying to focus maybe on your career and your relationships keep falling apart. You're trying to focus on healing and amid your family and yet you can't get your career together. You're trying to focus on following Jesus and yet all of your sin seems to roar more loudly at you. When you focus on one thing, it seems like another thing falls apart. And that's what's going on here in Philippi. They have tried to focus on Paul and what Paul can do to advance the kingdom, and yet things are falling apart at Philippi. There's division. They're focused on what they have in conflict instead of what they have in common. In fact, They're focused on whether or not Paul's going to live instead of what's going on at their church. It constantly feels like there's a mess being made and we can't keep up with it. Have you experienced that in your own heart? There's a mess being made and we can't keep up with it. We have certainly experienced that in our world. This sense that politically we've entirely fallen apart. We have a pandemic that's ripping the world apart. We have people losing their jobs, people losing their lives. And it seems no matter what we focus on, something else starts falling apart. Well, Paul goes after a church in need to encourage them that instead of experiencing conflict and anxiety and discontentment, they can experience unity and peace and contentment. First, let's look at unity amid conflict. For those of you who have experienced conflict in this church or in your life, look with me in verses 1 through 2. I entreat Eodia, excuse me, back up in 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Eodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true companion, Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. It's pretty significant what happens here. Paul calls out two women in in particular. I know that that could be lost on us, but remember, it would have taken as long for Paul to hear about it in the first place after a long voyage when someone gives him a letter 
him to respond, send the letter all the way back, and then present it to him. So this, this disagreement was one of significance. It's one that people have talked about and sort of divided up among. This disagreement between these two women. And, and to be clear, these two women were not troublemakers. They aren't the kind of people in the church who just love to mess with things. These are women, he says, contended for the gospel. These people who helped Paul by his very side. And yet, whatever it is, and we're not sure of what their conflict is, whatever it is has caused them to begin to pick at each other. It's caused other people to begin to take sides. So much that the conflict has reached Paul in a different part of the world. And so Paul writes Philippians in part to address this specific conflict between these two women. He does address many other things in the letter, but if you look carefully, he's been setting it up to address this conflict in particular. And he reminds them what we're working towards. Look with me again in verse 1. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Before he addresses the sin in the church, and in particular with these two women and the surrounding crowd, he wants to remind them that he longs for them and he loves them. That the church at Philippi is his joy and his crown. When he thinks of how God has used him, he thinks of the church at Philippi as his joy, as proof that Paul's ministry mattered. And he asked them to stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. When Paul addresses their sin, he does so from a place of love and encouragement and exhortation, not from wagging his finger saying, get it together. It has this soft, humble gentleness that he's going to model for us and he's going to explicitly call for. When you address people's sin, do you do it from a place of love and humility and gentleness? He reminds them even that their names are written in the book of life. And then he addresses the conflict. He says, tell Yodi and Syntyche to agree with one another in the Lord. And we don't know exactly what that is, but we have conflicts in our own church, in this church in particular, in the church at large. One of the things is we have people who voted for one candidate in this church, and we have people who voted for another candidate in this church. Some people believe that the pandemic is never going to stop, and we should all stay home nonstop, no matter what. And some people believe that it's a hoax and that it's fake, and they're all in the same church. Some people believe that we should all sing hymns. Some people believe we should all sing contemporary songs. Some people believe that we should focus only on social justice issues, and some people think we should focus only on preaching the gospel because it doesn't matter what we act, it matters what we say. Some people think that we should call out sin all the time, point at it, shake our fist at it. Some people say we should only talk about grace. We should never talk about sin. Do you see how common and how easy it is to have conflict within the church? That people can pick at each other and decide what we're doing is right and what they're doing is wrong. And what Paul is calling Yodi and Syntyche to is saying, what we're doing as a church is more important than your personal preference. What we have in common, friends, is more significant than what we have in disagreement. He says, having the same mind, look again in verse 2. 
He says, I entreat Yodi and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. He's actually saying, I entreat Yodi and I entreat Syntyche to have the same mind. Does that ring a bell? Remember when we were back in Philippians 2, early on in the book, he says, have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It was the first hint of the fact that he was calling for humility. He was calling for other-centered living, sacrificial attitudes. He says, have this same mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then when he comes to four and he's finally addressing specifically the topic of Yodi and Syntyche, he, he hearkens back to that language and says, have the same mind among you. Well, what is that mind? Do you remember it from Philippians 2? He being who in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. So the mind of Christ Jesus comes from that Philippians 2, verses 2, 3, and 4, and 5, where you have Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but makes himself low. He takes the low place of service and humility. He puts others' needs ahead of his own. That's what it says in 4. Do not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So the secret to them getting along is to have the same mind, which is Jesus, which is a, a humility. Looking to others' interests, not to our own, and to living sacrificially. What it's saying to us in His church and to you in your life, when you disagree with someone, are you showing humility? If you're like the rest of our culture, the easiest thing to do is to pick out the things you disagree with somebody the worst, shout them the loudest, and shout them in a way that they would never own that position if they were to read it. To say, this is what they are, and this is all they are. And what he's saying is that we should have the humility to look not with suspicion to people who disagree with us, but to think that they actually might have something good to offer to. To think that they might actually want good for the world. To think that they might actually have considered other people's interests. To consider that they might actually want to lay down their life for others too. And we and the church have to get better at this. To not making our enemies look or feel stupid. Not make our enemies turn and run from us but instead to draw near with humility and an other-centered attitude and living sacrificially. And you might say, I don't, I'm not in a conflict in the church. I'm not really in a conflict in my world right now. But he still calls all of us to participate. Did you see it in verse 3? Yes, I also ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored by my side with me in the gospel together with Clement Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. He's saying, if you're not in a particular conflict, then you help others. You help others. As one pastor said, Jesus didn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers, but the peacemakers. Ones who gently 
calmly guide people back into friendship, back into fellowship and community. We as the church don't need to stir up conflict. We need to help make peace from conflict. And he says this, let your gentleness be known to all. So you've got the mind of Christ, the humility, the other-centered living in order to deal with conflict. You live sacrificially yourself. You don't look at others with suspicion. And then he says, deal so gently. In verse 5 when it says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. What he's saying is, let your reasonableness, let your gentleness. These two women who are fighting, they need gentleness. These two groups who are watching them fight, they need gentleness. The people that are going to help them draw back together as a church are going to need gentleness. Gentleness sounds like weakness to our ears. But gentleness is having the strength to restrain the wisdom of know when to speak and when not to speak. Gentleness you'll need in any one of your relationships. If you're a parent, you'll need to learn gentleness and to not kill the twins for destroying a bathroom. If you're a spouse and your spouse commits a sin against you, you will need to learn gentleness to not rub their nose in their own sin. If you're loving one who doesn't believe the same things you believe about Jesus and they tell you things that break your heart, you will need gentleness to restrain yourself from making them feel worse than they already do. Let your gentleness be known to all. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. He's saying, I'm right here to help you. It said it in verse 5. Let your gentleness be known by everyone. The Lord is at hand. You all know that one of my favorite TV shows is The Office. And there's this scene where Dwight Schrute has left under Mifflin after many record-breaking years, and he goes to Staples. And he is very confident in his role at Staples. And in fact, he is sort of overconfident. And there's this scene where this sweet older woman is looking for a particular technological device, and Dwight is right there, three feet away from her. And he's like, do you need anything? And she kind of quietly says, um, actually, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking. And he goes, okay, well, if you do need anything, I will literally be standing right here. In a much less creepy way, Jesus is telling the church, if you do need anything, I will literally be standing right here. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand in our conflict. He can also bring peace instead of anxiety. Look with me in verses 6 through 9. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which excuse me, peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He's saying not only is peace something that you can experience in your own relationships with one another in your church, peace is something you can experience in your own heart. You all know that it's so hard to find peace. When you wake up, it all starts flooding in. And we grab our phones to start scrolling through the feed, catching up on news, catching up on what we missed. And instead of calming it, it actually makes it worse. We're aware of things that are happening all over the world, all the fighting, all the ugliness, and it just keeps coming in in waves. 
We've all gotten so anxious that they now have apps where celebrities will read you stories so that you can calm down and fall asleep. Everybody is anxious. And what he's saying here is, I know that you will be uncertain about the things around you, but you can come to me because the Lord is at hand. He says, pray. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, Supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known, be made known to God. What he's saying is, is that with all of the things around you, you need to remember that the Lord is at hand and you can take those prayer requests straight to God and that he actually cares. Peter says, cast all your cares, cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Jesus says, your Father in heaven loves to give good gifts. We have this picture of God in heaven as if he is aloof or he is distant or maybe he cares about us in a general way, but he certainly doesn't care about our particular problems. And Paul says clearly, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. What if you really believe that God listened to your prayers? As you're falling asleep, as you're getting up, and you're in the car, and you're walking around, what if you really believed, I have a direct line to the throne room? And this person actually loves me so much he sent his son for me and then he sent his spirit for me and now his son is coming back for me and until then he's going to sustain me he's going to give me work he's going to give me community he's going to embrace me and walk alongside me and what he's saying is what if you actually believe the same God who came for you and is coming for you again listens to you he's saying you wouldn't be so anxious And he also reminds you to give thanksgiving while you pray. What he's doing is he's saying, I know you're anxious and I know you're, you're upset, but as you pray, pray with thanksgiving. It's, it's like saying, I know that you've loved me and you've given me your son and you've given me your spirit and you've met my needs in those times when I said I wasn't going to make it and now I'm going to make it, and then pray. And what he's saying is that when you fuel your prayers with thanksgiving, you will have more confidence that this God who has answered all these prayers is now going to turn his attention to these. He's saying, remind yourself that God has answered your prayers and then use that to fuel your new prayers. And then he says, think about excellent things. Finally, brothers, what's true and honorable, just, pure, Whatever's lovely and commendable, if there's excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I want you to hear that again. Verse 5. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In verse 9, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. What he's saying is, is that ultimately you have the prayers, but you also have the presence of God himself. He's near, he's at hand. He's taken up your cause 
He has heard your prayers. He has drawn near. And to think about such things, he's trying to say, look at what God has done in Scripture. Look at what God has done in creation. Music, art, the beautiful outdoors world, the Scriptures themselves. Think about those things. Rather than CNN or Fox News or a story or a feed, he's saying, fill your mind with the goodness of God so that when these things try and fight their way in, there isn't room for them. Or it's not enough room to make you anxious because the God of the Bible is at hand. You see how we can have peace in our relationships with humility and other-centered living. You see we can have peace in our heart by praying and reminding ourselves what God has already done and filling our minds with creation, filling our minds with the words of God. Filling our minds with the presence of God in Christ and by His Spirit. And then he says we can have contentment. This is interesting coming from a guy who is literally sitting in prison. He says in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you revive your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound in every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And he says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians know yourselves that it was the beginning of the gospel. When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, going too fast. Even in Thessalonica, you helped me with my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received the full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus, the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable to and pleasing to God. And here's what he says. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ. This church that has Epaphroditus has gone missing. Paul could be dead as far as they know. And they're concerned. They worry about Paul and And they finally hear back from Paul. They finally receive Epaphroditus. And Paul says, I know what it's like to be in plenty or in want. I know what it's like to be in difficult times. Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content. And it doesn't come from the outside. If you're like me, you think if I could just have this much more money, then we could relax. If I could just have this much more reputation, then we'd be well-known enough. If I could just have this more relationship, then I wouldn't be so lonely. If I could just, if I could just have a little more. And Paul says the secret of contentment does not come from the outside. And you have to believe it. A man who's been shipwrecked, a man who's been hungry and beaten and flogged. And even right then, he's in prison, and yet he's the joyful one. He's the peaceful one. And he says that's because contentment doesn't come from circumstances. It comes from God himself. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. 
It's not a verse for football players. It's a verse for human beings who are trying with grit to survive the difficulties of this world in this life with loss and deprivation and need and saying every time God will show up. It may not always be like I want it to be and it may not always feel as encouraging as I want it to in that moment, but we have confidence as Paul does that our God will show up. He does that personally, and he also does that through others. He's he's raving about the church at Philippi. You made my problems your problems. You sent me gifts. In Thessalonica and before. And now you're still sending me gifts. What I want that to show us is that God will meet our needs. God will supply our needs. And he often does that using other people. Whose needs are you meeting? Who's, are you encouraging? When they're discouraged and beaten down and overwhelmed, who are you stepping in for? Like the church at Philippi was for Paul, saying, Paul, keep going. I know you've been shipwrecked. I know you've been beaten. I know that you're now in prison. Keep going. Who in your life are you saying, I know you face death. I know you face divorce. I know you face diseased. I know you face the loss of some meaningful relationship or the loss of some job. I know you face this, but keep going. We're with you and God is with you. What if you believed that, friends? Did you hear it in 19? My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ. That means that God will take all of the needs that we've just mentioned and he will meet them according to the glory of his riches in Christ. He's taking them back to Christ and he's saying they've already been earned in him. You're loved now like Jesus is loved. That's the... That's the scandal of the gospel, is that now you get treated like Jesus gets treated. You're loved like Jesus is loved. You have a seat at the table like Jesus has the seat at the table. And before you think, oh man, that's kind of mean to Jesus, he's sort of demoted him down to our level. What the gospel is, is that ultimately you are promoted to Jesus' level. You get his treatment, you get his gifts, you get his blessing now. And so he's saying, if I have loved you and made you on the same level as my own son, won't you know that my God will supply all your needs for those who are in Christ Jesus? Friends, what if we believe that for ourselves? What if we believed it for one another? My God will supply all your needs in the riches and glory of Christ Jesus. This season, as you see the chaos around you, as you see the chaos among you, as you see the covetousness pile up, remember that our God will supply your needs in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we know that we're a mess. We're limping to the end of the year with not much left. 
And I pray, God, that instead of stare at what we don't have or fight with one another or fill our hearts and minds with anxiety, that you would give us the peace that passes all understanding and guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, that our God will supply all that we need in Christ Jesus. That we've been promoted to the level of sons and daughters. And as he loves Jesus, so he loves us. Let us bask in that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.